So, football's over, is it? Listen and understand. The football is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. So, with that in mind, the Totally Football Show is continuing all summer long, every Monday and every Thursday, because, well, it's not like there isn't anything to talk about, is there? Pogba wants out, Chelsea want Lampard, United are buying all of the children, we've got Copper America, we've got the European under-21s, we've got more talk of new signings and the Human Resources Department of the Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show, in association with no-one at the moment, actually. The last time I saw my first guest, we were smearing hot cream on each other's backs. Tom Williams. Hello, Ian. Yes, we were. Yes, Oops. fond memories. Yeah. Fond memories of our little Porto sojourn. Semi-naked men just being comfortable with each other. Yeah, yeah. Not a bit. And Michael more Cox. Than that. <laughs> Michael Cox <laughs> making everyone uncomfortable by constantly shuttling up and down the garden with a mini football. James Horncastle. Hello. I've yet to smear anything on your back. Yep. No smears, please. It's, it's early in the day. Okay. How are you, sir? Very well. Yeah. A lot of football killing me softly, Ian. All right. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Jack Lang about the Copper America soon. We're going to be catching up with Alvaro Romeo a little later to talk Real Madrid. Daniel Story, who's out in Italy writing for The Eye, will speak to him about the under-21s. Before we get to any of that, let's talk about Paul Pogba, shall What's we? he been up to, Ian? Well, I'll tell you what he's been up to. He's been uh, publicly saying that he's looking for a new challenge, or in other words, come and get me Real Madrid. Uh, there's a really good piece in The Times today by Oli Kay. A new challenge, he asks. That implies a sense of engagement that's been in little evidence over the past three years. Ouch. Uh, He goes on, Pogba has come to embody the sense of dysfunction at the modern United, a fun-loving type whose enjoyment seems to stop when he pulls on the red shirt. Tom, it's fair to say that Oli can see a silver lining for United fans with this, but is he right or is this actually really bad news for United? I think the idea when Pogba signed was that he was going to be the cornerstone of the new Manchester United team who was going to lead the club back to uh, to the heights it had, it had slipped from uh, in the post-Ferguson era. But what has become apparent during his time at the club is that they don't really seem any closer to, to bridging that gap than when he arrived. Um, you know, that there's an argument for saying that Pogba is still potentially United's best player and so they should be trying to keep hold of him and, and build a team around him. But there have been been bright moments. You know, he won for two trophies in his first season. Last season was the most successful season of his career in, in goal-scoring terms. But yeah, there is that feeling that this this hasn't really paid off for either club or player. Um, so yeah, I think it probably I think it probably does make sense from both perspectives. Um you know, that, that Pogba is, is looking to leave now. James, it's kind of felt inevitable ever since Mino Raiola, his agent, of course, overturned that three-month football ban. It felt like, I'm back in the game, now I need to do something. Well, look, a lot of Raiola's clients, some of the most high-profile in the world, you think of Matthias De Ligt as well, I don't think that ban would necessarily have been a problem. Uh, it depends who the players are signed to. If they're specifically signed to the agent, then maybe that would have been a problem. If they're signed to a company that the agent works for, not so much a problem. But I think it is clear that there's a strategy now in place to get Paul Pogba out of United. Strategy hatched by uh, Ryla and uh, Pogba's representatives. Pogba, I think, needs to take some responsibility himself for not being able to bridge that gap. But there are so many flaws in Manchester United, the club, in terms of its structure as well, that you can completely appreciate why not only Pogba, but the team's other stars, and we're talking about some of the less disruptive stars as well, like David De Gea are thinking, is my future best served sticking around and playing for Manchester United? Do I need a, a new challenge? Now, the issue that United have got is everyone knows these players want out. They need to get some of the money back, and we're talking like Lukaku um, as well. They invested so much money in, in, in those guys, be it in fees, be it in wages, that they're going to have to come to some kind of compromise, I think. Um, also, because ultimately locked in, in those two guys is a lot of money which they can then reinvest in the team. Um, but 
it's such a big rebuilding job. And now I, I think the clear out in terms of culture will is is probably for the best um, from from Solskjaer's perspective. But it's not an easy pitch for for United. When you when you look at the the kind of players that United are either signing or pursuing, I'm thinking Daniel James, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, James Madison. I mean, these these are young and players with great potential, but not necessarily the players to make the superstars think, hey, we're really going places. Yeah, but what I quite like about that approach, I suppose, is it seems that there's a bit of a reset going on at Manchester United in that the initial kind of Woodward phase was very much, let's be Galacticos, let's do what Real Madrid did, let's cause a buzz, let's disrupt the market and basically get everybody talking about us. Ultimately, when it came to assembling a team that worked and functioned all together, that was a failure. Um, and these guys, they're you know all English or British. They all uh, understand what Manchester United means, the responsibility that comes with playing for that shirt, representing that club. And I think from a culture perspective, those guys all kind of work, but they've given themselves so much to do uh, in terms of locking down so much money with these, these guys who've ult- ultimately, maybe flops too hard a word, but it hasn't worked out. Um, but you, where, where's Pogba going to go? Because ultimately, you look at Real Madrid. Real Madrid have already splurged a hell of a lot of money. They're going to have to bring some of that, bring some of the money that they've the expense back in. Mm-hmm. Can they go with Pogba? I look at it and I think Juventus is perhaps a more realistic um, destination for him because they've got bargaining chips that they can move around. But still, going for, for both Real Madrid and Juventus, it's going to be a huge onerous deal for them to do. Well, more on both those clubs later. Um... Tom, are they right to focus on on youth over over experience and perhaps hyperbole? I mean, I think they need to have some sort of coherent strategy United because that's the one thing that has been lacking. And we know that they've been looking for a sporting director who is still to be appointed. And United's transfer dealings have been so scattergun in recent seasons. There hasn't seemed to be any overarching plan behind it you know I think the Alexis Sanchez deal sums that up more than anything you got the feeling they almost only went in for Sanchez because they thought they could potentially beat City to his signature City pulled out of the race when they realised that it was just going to be too expensive United ended up with a guy who looks like a complete busted flush um, and another guy who wants to play in the exact same position as Anthony Martial and possibly Marcus Rashford uh, and now Daniel James as well so you've got a very uneven squad um, and if if the the management at United have now decided that they're going to go after young, uh, particularly British talent with resale value, at least that's something. At least that's that's a direction of sorts rather than just, oh, I see everyone else is, is in for this guy. Let's see if we can get him rather than addressing the needs of the squad and, and, and acting in response to that. So the dilemma for United is that they they still see themselves as a Champions League club. But if you look at their performances this season, they look very far off that. And is the way to bridge that gap, bringing in proven Champions League players and hoping that they, they somehow you know, figure out a way of muddling through together or almost starting from scratch with a new project, which is, which is a little bit what this feels like. Um, so I can, I can see the sense behind it. And, and at least there is clearly some thinking behind it, which I don't think you've been able to say about United's transfer activities for a little while. All right, not the only club where there's going to be changes. Uh, one team that is actually in the Champions League, big changes. Yes, Sarri, not Sarri. It's all official now with Juventus. The old man has left for the old lady, citing his desire to look after his own old man and old lady. And no one at Chelsea seems too sad to see him go. Uh, word on the street, it's Frank Lampard leaving Frank Lampard's derby for Frank Lampard's Chelsea. Um, we reckon that may well be a done deal. Uh, Roman Abramovich apparently has guaranteed him two years in charge, which is about four times as much as many of their managers get uh, and it'll only cost him four million quid to prize him away so so there's a bit of a bargain in a year in which they're not going to spend any money elsewhere more on frank in a moment let's deal with sorry first uh james he never really connected at chelsea did he no he didn't engage with the fans um i think the problem that Sadie faced right from the get-go was was one of expectation insofar as the kind of style of football that that team was going to play um and if you look at, um, I think social media did him in in some respects because there was this construct which he never came up with called Sari Ball. Uh, and people were talking about Sari Ball. What we, when are we going to see it? What's it going to be like? And ultimately, it was a bit of a fudge, really. You saw, you saw flickers of it 
um, towards the end. Um, but really, he didn't have the players suited uh, for that style of football. Still managed to win something. Um, still probably, in the, if you just look at it on paper, leaves as a success um, because you know getting him back into the Champions League, the two finals, winning a, a trophy and it being a European trophy as well in the Europa League, yeah, he can quite rightly step back and say that's progress for me. Gotcha. I mean, if Lampard does what Sarri's just done, he'll, he'll get a three-year contract. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the great thing about the two clubs that we've just been talking about, Chelsea and Manchester United, is that they seem to be in these kind of ongoing situations of flux that you wonder maybe this is maybe this is the year this one that's just coming up where someone else more unexpected can break into the the top 4 that isn't a fairy tale like leicester but maybe a, a club like wolves or something like that maybe this is they they have to be looking at this season as the time when they can maybe break into that on the other side of things, uh, at Juventus, how excited are they by <laughs> Sarri turning up? And is it a hiding to nothing, given that they've won every title since 1981? Well, we talked about this on Golazzo, uh, the last one that we recorded, in that there are echoes of when Juventus decide to, to appoint uh, a guy with no real background in football, but who uh, was a former rep for Verve Clico. And uh, in, in Gigi Maifredi, and that because AC Milan had achieved such great success with a former shoe salesman in Arrigo Sacchi, they thought, okay, maybe this is the way to go these days. And instead, it was a complete disaster. Now, there are some contrasts between uh, the two in that series, obviously, a lot more experienced, but it does seem oil and water um, and a bit of a slap in the face for the, the, the guy they've moved on, Massimiliano Allegri, because ultimately he made the case that. This club is about the motto that it has. Winning isn't important. It's the only thing that matters. For Sarri, winning is important, but how you win uh, matters. And I think how to look at this is it's very much in keeping with what Juventus has been doing the last few few years in reinventing themselves to appeal to bigger audiences, not just in Italy, but across the world by redesigning the logo, by putting out a new shirt this year, which doesn't really correlate with anything that we've seen from them traditionally in terms of that black and white there aren't stripes there are just you know it's a half and half kit and maybe Sarri also fits into this is that they want to they want to achieve the greatest success Champions League glory but achieve it in such a way that this team will be remembered forever it's a it's a big gamble and uh, I think he's going to have to count on the support of the club to back him in a dressing room which has some pretty big egos not least that of Cristiano Ronaldo. So whether it turns out like um, Rafa Benitez's experience at Real Madrid, where um, you have Benitez telling Cristiano Ronaldo how to take free kicks uh, and him not listening to him because he's had no real background in football, we'll have to see. So James, sorry, but uh, where can we hear more about Manfredi? Well, just check it out on the Golazzo feed. Golazzo. In fact, the last episode was essentially about Manfredi, but really it was about Sarri, so check that out. I'll tell you what, linking from one Muddy Knees Media show to another Muddy Knees Media show, Matt Davis-Adams, occasional presenter of the Totally Football League show, uh, this time last season he was on here telling us that Jody Morris should have been a contender for the Chelsea job. Now it looks like he's going to be the assistant manager. Um, very much considered the secret source, of course. Coach of the under-18s for two years, won the FA Youth Trophy, went to Pride Park with Lampard, um, and all of that experience with Chelsea youth players, Tom, is going to come in very handy this year, isn't it? Yes, particularly as as things stand, Chelsea won't be able to sign any new players, so that vast galaxy of, of promising young talents that they've been assiduously stockpiling over the last five or six years should finally um, get uh, you know a, more of an outing. Um, I think the feeling with Lampard is that it, obviously that job at Chelsea is there for him whenever he wants it. He is, you know, Mr. Chelsea through and through. Is this the right time to take it? I mean, there is an argument. Actually, expectations are quite low because he can't buy anyone. Yeah, I just think, you know, you look at Lampard and he is a promising young coach who has had a promising first season. And that's it. You can't say anything beyond that. Um, clearly, he'll be welcome with open arms because of his, his connections with Chelsea. Um, as you say, having Jody Morris with him, that's another connection to Stamford Bridge. But... 
you know, he, he's still a very unproven manager. He had a great first season at Derby, got them into the playoffs, got them to the playoff final, you know, some eye-catching results in the cup. But, you know, he's had, he's had no time to really learn the profession beyond that. And you worry for Lampard if things don't work out for him. And we've seen this happen with, with other young managers. I mean, you think about like Gary Neville and what happened to him at Valencia. Um, not directly comparable, but Thierry Henry at Monaco, another one. Um, and it is an increasing trend in modern football for young big name former players to be given uh, a big job when they're still learning the ropes and you know as you say Chelsea are you know in the midst of a rebuilding process um you know why not why not give Lampard a go but to me it it feels premature uh, and you think either he hits the ground running or he you know sort of muddles through and you can you can see um yeah you, you can see it you can see Lampard not getting to the end of his contract because he hasn't quite lived up to expectations. And then where does that leave his reputation as, as a manager going is, forward? I mean, I wouldn't presume to speak for Chelsea supporters, but I mean, there's a chance they'll probably enjoy this, isn't there? I mean, they've just come third, won the Europa League, apparently hated every second of it. They've had 15 years of being a short-termist, constructive chaos sort of club. Now it looks like they're sort of going to pivot off and be a kind of really flash version of Southampton. Yeah, making their own <laughs> players and then letting Liverpool pay yeah. over the odds for them. I just feel really bad for like Vitesse Arnhem. I mean, they've, <laughs> they've just gotten used to like having Chelsea players regularly coming over to play for them. But I think maybe we should look at it a little bit like um, what's going on with Solskjaer at United, where he started ever so well and then obviously finished really badly. And we in the media or you know, on this podcast in particular, be quite critical and thinking maybe they should have gone with somebody else, maybe should be reconsidering his future. You talk to anyone who goes to Old Trafford season ticket holders there, they love the fact that Solskjaer's manager. They've still been very supportive of him, even through that bad run. I think that's something that Lampard can expect. Having said that, you know, we know what, no one gets time in modern football. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what the name of, on the back of your shirt is. What you did in the past remains in the past. You will be judged on what, what happens today and from from then onwards and there's a lot of risk for Chelsea to be exposed I think next season because they've lost their best player and they're taking they're going to put push these young players through one of whom the most promising of which has got a bad Achilles injury in Callum Hudson-Odoi and they're going to be playing Champions League football so you're going to be coming up against the elite best of the best um, there's a lot of opportunity to be found out very quickly there and I think that's that that's that's a problem on Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Well, lots of talk there about new signings. Here's one of our own. It's Nick Miller. Hello, Ian. Hi. Welcome aboard. Thank you for having me. Muddy Knees Media's newest employee. Um, just starting today. A, a wide, it's Miller time. It is Miller time. There you go. A yes, wide remit of things that we're not contractually allowed to talk about yet. Yeah. 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 So we're just going to have to talk about the Football League. Yeah, let's do that. All right, let's let's go for it. Jonathan Woodgate at Middlesbrough. Did you see that coming? Uh, not well, not really. But they, they seem to. If if you kind of uh, subscribe to the theory that every managerial appointment is a reaction to the last guy, Middlesbrough have appointed someone that people like now, as opposed to Tony Pulis. Uh, Woodgate was a kind of. I it, like Tony Pulis. Did you? Yeah. I, d- well, I I think I don't think Middlesbrough fans did. On they, two separate occasions, Tony Pulis has slapped my bottom and made me feel like a proper football man. So that's enough. That's all it takes. Um, you're gonna have to expand on that. <laughs> uh, once while interviewing him at West Brom, um, when we we had a, a a chat over breakfast, and he slapped my bum on the way into the canteen. Is that okay? Yeah, in- yeah, I was absolutely fine with that. Okay. You having a yeah. Me Too moment here, Ian? No, no, no. I, I welcomed it. And then again, when I saw him in Nice in a press lounge, and he remembered me. And I remember. We, oh, it's yeah. the guy who likes his ass slapped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another one. Uh, one on the right, one on the left. It was, yeah, I felt welcome. Um, well, uh, hopefully the whole Middlesbrough squad will like their bottoms patted as well. So, Well, know. they might not be getting any more. No, we don't know if Jonathan true. Woodgate's touchy-feely or not. Um, why have they made this appointment? Because if you hadn't been you know, watching Middlesbrough or aware that he was even back there, your memories of Jonathan Woodgate will be either that extraordinary debut for Real Madrid or that extraordinary court case when he was at Leeds. Yeah, I mean, he uh, it's, it's quite a significant rise for him. He was a scout. I think he was on Liverpool's books about a, uh, just over a year ago. Then he moved to Middlesbrough as a first-team coach. 
uh, and now seems to have been kind of appointed. I'm sure it's not just because he's hanging around and he, you know, he knows where all the mugs are, but you know, <laughs> he there, there is a kind of element to that. That a lot of clubs do do this thing where they they wildly promote people above their kind of experience levels because they are known at the clubs. I mean, Frank Lampard obviously being well, the, yes. the, the the example. What went wrong for Tony Pulis? Because on the face of it, that should have worked. It was a big, well-funded squad in a division known for its rampant inconsistency. Surely it should have worked to have a very consistent, solid manager in there. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the big problem was that he just didn't score any goals. I think off, off the top of my head, I think only three teams in the whole division uh, only a very small handful of teams in the whole division scored fewer goals than them. Um, they still managed to kind of get in the playoffs, but with the squad that they had, they should have been challenging for automatic promotion much more. So if they if they kind of keep the majority of that that squad together, a couple of additions, who knows whether Jonathan Woodgate's going to make a good manager or coach? But it seems to be it's worth a punt. Of course, he's got Robbie Keane in as well, assistant as well. Yeah, Woodgate playing a hundred games for Borough and being a boyhood fan and. Robbie Keane. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. Tee the joke yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Um, Keane, also player manager for Atletico Kolkata. Well, um, there you go. He's, he's, got, he's got some experience. Yeah, three three games there. Um, Listening to what Woodgate said about him, he just seemed to be brought in because he's Woodgate's mate, and he said, and he said, yeah, it's just nice to have. That him doesn't sound like football, Nick. I know <laughs> jobs for the boys. It's it's not that kind of industry. It's an extreme departure, but yeah. you know. Well, I mean, Robbie Keane's a lifelong Middlesbrough fan anyway, so surely that's the thinking there. <laughs> well, so everyone knew that. There it is. Um, also, we haven't yet got the uh, the date, but Woodgate would be meeting up with one of his other old friends Lee Bowyer who of course got Cholton promoted and if you're too young to remember how those two made the headlines 18 years ago it's well worth a read um other things going on down there though Slaven Bilic at West Brom yeah um I definitely didn't see that coming well West Brom of course sacked Darren Moore uh in March I think it was last season they were uh, fourth and nine points off the automatic playoffs when they sacked him. They finished fourth, nine points off the automatic promotion places at the end of the season. Um, it, uh, Bilic seems to be a, a, a perfectly fine appointment. I just wonder why they didn't do it then rather than kind of muddling through with Jimmy Shan for most of the season. That said, actually, uh, Bilic's last job was with Al Itahad in Saudi Arabia. Uh, where he was sacked for winning three games in 15 with them heading for relegation. And since he was sacked, they seemed to start winning games and didn't get relegated. So if you're only as good as your last job, then West Brom could be in some trouble. But <laughs> he does have a, a, a body of work before that that might be a little bit more promising. If you want to hear more from Slavon Bilic, um, the Football Manager Files podcast is uh, still out there, one of the early Muddy Knees media productions uh, in which I interview him. And uh, as far as I recall, he did not touch my bottom in any way, um, consensual or otherwise, and was the perfect gentleman for the duration of the interview. Uh, finally, in the Championship, Swansea surprised quite a few people by appointing Steve Cooper. Uh, most people's first reaction being Steve who? Yeah, I mean, he did, it, it is surprising, but it also kind of fits with what Swansea have done. He's a sort of loosely similar uh, theory to Graham Potter, relatively relatively low profile but well, very well regarded coach. Um, Cooper was he was at Liverpool's academy when players like Raheem Sterling and Trent Alexander Arnold were there. Uh, he then moved to the England youth setup and was the England coach when they won the under 17s World Cup uh, a couple of years ago. That team with Phil Foden and Cullen Hudson Adoy and Jaden Sancho. So he's a very, very well regarded coach. Who knows whether he's going to be a good manager, but it kind of fits with the Swansea's theory, I think. Thanks so much for that, Nick. We'll be hearing loads more from you, uh, hopefully, over the forthcoming years. James, um, who's taken over from Claudio Ranieri at Roma, James? Well, not too far away from uh, Totally Studios. Uh, it's Paolo Fonseca, who, yeah, Roma have been over here for the last nine days doing all of their business planning for next season. So Paolo Fonseca has been over here. And uh, he is the new manager of uh, Roma after, what, a very successful period at Shakhtar Donetsk. We've seen his teams do very well against uh, some of the Premier League sides, at least in terms of how well they performed um, against them. I'd uh, recommend checking out a YouTube video in particular of how Fonseca game-planned um, the, the City match in the Champions League. It really kind of 
interesting um, to see the entire process behind that. Uh, but quite an exciting appointment, I think. Um, uh, certainly in terms of uh, what Roman need, they like this idea of not having an Italian manager, certainly not having from someone from Rome because it's ultimately these people end up being conditioned and influenced by that environment. So an outsider is sometimes quite good uh, for, for Roma. So uh, there's a big day for Roma today because what, in an hour's time as we record, Francesco Totti will be holding a press conference on neutral territory um, to announce that after 30 years he is leaving Roma definitively um, because of a, um, well, let's say they don't see uh, eye to eye anymore in terms of the vision that each each has, has for the club. So in the same, what, uh, four-week period that Daniele De Rossi has, has left as well, another totem of Roma will be walking out as well. So, yeah, even with the appointment of someone like Paolo Fonseca, this kind of trauma, this turbulence seems to be continually afflicting uh, Roma. So interesting times there, Maka. Listeners, we're not embarrassed to admit that from time to time we still get out our well-thumbed sticker albums from the 80s and early 90s to reminisce over players like Gary Micklewhite and John Bumstead and marvel at Eddie McGoldrick's magnificent monobrow and moustache combo. Panini is the original and best name in sticker collecting and they're now a partner with the Premier League. That means you can look forward to both the Premier League official sticker collection and Adrenaline XL Premier League trading cards very, very soon. But right now, you can get your hands on the brand new Premier League Panini tabloid sticker collection, celebrating the highs and the lows of the 2018-19 season. It's easy to find. It looks like a newspaper. And it being the 21st century, this Panini album comes with QR codes on the album pages, which give you access to exclusive video clips of the season's most dramatic and sensational moments, like Vincent Company's Screamer against Leicester, or Divock Origi doing the do in the 96th minute of the Merseyside derby. And at one brief time, things looked all right for United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. There are five stickers in every pack, so how about kicking off your collection with a starter kit, which includes an album and 20 stickers for just £3.99. Find out more at panini.co.uk. That's P-A-N-I-N-I.co.uk. Get tweeting them on Twitter at Official Panini, Insta at Panini UK Official, and use the hashtag GotGotNeed. James Horncastle, there's a packet for you. Excellent. Thank you, Ian. Tom oh. Williams. I feel like a YouTuber. What have you got? Yeah, this is this is very big on YouTube right now. If this was a Kinder Egg, we would own the internet right now. I've got a shiny, a Lucas Mora oh. shiny. No shinies for me. No. I've got a uh, Barclays Manager of the Month, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Feels like a long time nice. ago. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, Memories, uh, eh? and Goal of the Month from Daniel Sturridge. I think this is probably the one he scored against Chelsea. Nice. Yeah. There I'll weren't many your, to choose from. What you got, Tom? I'll see your Ole Gunnar Solskjaer Manager of the Month and raise you a Pep Guardiola Manager of the Month. Nice. Quite happy with that. I've got Spurs and Watford Crests. I've got Danny Rose. I've got half a goalkeeper. Okay. Is, is, it, the, is it the half, half with well. the hands? Have you got the other half of well, mine? No, I've got half of Man City oh. celebrating a goal or something. Oh. Interesting. This, is, this seems to be a completely new... A new vibe going into these. It's uh, good, this, because it, it's like a tabloid newspaper. It's got loads of stats and articles and stuff. But also, it's not that daunting because there's only about 120 stickers. So it's like you've got a realistic chance of, of getting there all the way to the end. Well, I've got one sticker well, here that's go. got three people on. Well, there you go. Kieran Trippier and Jamie Vardy and Gilfie Sigurdsson. Yeah, oh. I've got a Wolves one like that. All part of the Muddy Knees Media experience. Three for the price of one. Right, elsewhere, Copa America kicked off this weekend in Brazil. Qatar and Japan are in that. I've even let in Everton too. What am I talking about? Here's our friend Jack Lang. He's covering the tournament for the Independent and uh, plucky outsiders, The Athletic. Speaking to producer Ben from American R before the kickoff of Paraguay against those Qataris. It's been a bit of a mixed bag so far, I have to say. The opening game was played out to a stadium that wasn't full. If you're wandering around the streets, apart from the, the, the roads immediately around the stadiums, I think you'd struggle to know there was really a tournament going on. There's, there's really none of the, the big tournament buzz that was here for the World Cup. Um, ticket prices are an issue. I'm sure we can come back to that in a minute. But the football so far has been, uh, I suppose, medium, you would say. Venezuela against Peru was pretty dull. Argentina 
Argentina again, completely tanking it in familiar style against Colombia. That was good fun. Brazil started fairly slowly at the bottom B. It, it's actually a, a running theme with them. When they, when they get the first goal, things tend to flow quite nicely. They get a bit more space to work with. They seem to relax. The longer it stays nil-nil, the, the antsier they get and the crowd really gets on their backs. And that was certainly the case uh, in Sao Paulo. But Felipe Coutinho took a fantastic penalty, added another one uh, with a header just afterwards. That was really Brazil's best attacking move. Uh, Firmino clipping a lovely cross in. And then the individual goal later on from Everton, who is someone who has appeared in the gossip pages a few times linked with Manchester United. He's a real powder keg of a player, always making something happen, buzzing round that left flank. And that goal cutting in on his right was, was typical of the way he plays. There were already calls for him to be included in the, in the lineup for the second game against Venezuela on Tuesday. Uh, one of the most prominent columnists here, Juca Cofori, uh, has said he brings a little bit of pandemonium to the side, which is sometimes what is necessary, especially when Neymar is absent, of course. So there's, uh, I think there's something to build on there for, for Brazil. They haven't really been impressive since the World Cup in general. Uh, that 45 minutes, you could argue, was, was a, a much-needed boost as they look to win this competition. Jack, watching that first game, Brazil versus Bolivia, it wasn't a great atmosphere. Now, you mentioned the ticket prices uh, just before. Tell us a bit more about that. How prohibitively expensive are tickets to go to these games? Yeah, that first game didn't quite reach capacity. It was almost full, but there were definitely uh, quite a lot of seats here and there spread around. So the average ticket price for that first game was 485 reais. That's about £100. Whichever way you look at it, that's a lot of money, but especially once you consider the, you know, the, the average wage year so if you're looking at a minimum wage that is almost half of a monthly salary at minimum wage which is obscene really so imagine an, uh, an England match costing someone six or seven hundred quid that would be the equivalent uh, w- what it's meant is that over the last decade or so this was really apparent at the World Cup but even before that to some extent with with some of the stadium renovations the crowds have grown ever more elite you know it's people who may not go and watch club football week in and week out it's more of a more of a day out something they can do with the kids and obviously there's a place for that it's it's nice to have a, a family friendly atmosphere there's a lot more women in stadiums these days for example certainly a lot a lot more youngsters but it's also led to a lot of people being priced out and if you look at the, the crowd at that brazil game it's absolutely staggering how white it was could could hardly see you know anyone from from Brazil's black community there which is a is a real shame and a scandal really added to that that game brought in 22 million reais so it makes it the most lucrative game ever in Brazil's football history that's about 4.5 million pounds so you know people are paying I suppose is is the bottom line and it's it's an ongoing problem how Brazil are going to are going to reconcile this uh, their ability to charge those prices with with the the loss of the atmosphere that they used to be at stadiums it's a uh, it's a real shame and finally Jack if the fans aren't getting up for games involving Brazil and Argentina what are the hopes for the atmosphere in the games involving Japan and Qatar are the locals there in Brazil jazzed about these two guest nations. Well, I was sat next to a couple of Japanese journalists at the first game and had a little chat with them, and they're pretty excited about it, as you'd imagine. Sao Paulo was, a, a, I suppose, a good place to see that excitement because it, it's got a massive Japanese community, so there were actually five or six uh, Sao Paulo-based Japanese journalists there for that one. Beyond that, I think it's, I think it's going to be a, a fairly limited interest in those games. So I didn't see a single Qatar fan around the stadium. There were, there were a few uh, Paraguayan and Brazilian fans tentatively wear, waving flags that had obviously been handed out outside the metro station, but that was about as far as it got. Obviously, you know, Qatar to Brazil is a long way, so there, there was never going to be a travelling contingent, and the same is true for Japan. Uh, Japan have also picked a really young squad with an eye on the Olympics so it's not like they're even taking it particularly seriously. Uh, and, and the reaction in Brazil, I think, is more one of curiosity than it is of real excitement. It's actually, you know, although the, a lot of attention is being drawn to the presence of these teams, it's not really a new thing. Japan have, have played in this tournament before, and there are always invited nations to make up the numbers. It just so happens that this year they're from slightly further afield than maybe, you know, Mexico or the USA. All right, that's Jack Lang there, who... 
wore the smallest shorts in Casa del Muddy in Portugal and uh, also told us a very interesting thing about tan lines, didn't he, Tom? He did, yeah. They're not even shorts. I mean, proper budgie smugglers. They really were. Which allied to his 1920s moustache um, and that he, he cut quite the dash, poolside. Yeah, the dapper chap. Uh, keep up to date with him on Twitter, at Jack Lang, uh, J-A-C-K-L-A-N-G. Uh, at Jack Lang. Uh, Qatar impressing last night. 2-0 down to Paraguay, came back to 2 all and damn nearly nicked it at the end. A couple uh, of lovely goals. Yeah. First one was a belt. Well, absolutely. And, and you know what? Jack was so impressed, he sent us this message. Hi, Jack again. I just feel obliged to give you an update on that game I was a bit sniffy about earlier. Qatar and Paraguay produced the, the match of the tournament so far. Fantastic attacking football. Uh, not many fans in the Maracanã, but the ones that were were very much entertained. A lot of the Brazilian fans supporting Qatar by the end. And yeah, if we see more of the same, I think the tournament will be uh, all the better for it. Um, you might have wondered, dear listener, why we're not talking about the uh, the, the Women's World Cup. That's because we've got our own podcast just for that, the offside rule. And here's what it sounds like. Hello, I'm Kate Borsay, host of the Offside Rule. You may have heard there's a Women's World Cup going on, but did you know we're doing daily podcasts throughout the tournament? Every match day, we'll be commenting on all the goals, and in the USA's case, we mean all 13 of them, bringing you the hottest takes and all the talking points from the world's biggest footballing stage. And that's all in the company of former Lionesses, voices from around the world and on the ground in France. You can find us only on Spotify, so search for The Offside Rule and join us every day during the Women's World Cup. Now, as Kate said, the only place to hear that show is on Spotify. It's totally free. You don't need a premium subscription, don't need anything. You won't even hear any ads on it. Um, You don't even need to use up data by streaming it. You can just download the episodes onto your phone. It's so easy, even Tom figured it out while we were in Portugal. And Tom, you'd never used Spotify before. Yes, yeah, thanks for outing me as a technological (laughs) luddite. I I hadn't signed up to Spotify. I was very much an iTunes man. uh, But after being talked through it by by yourself and the other lads out in Porto, I can confirm that it is, is very easy and a very enjoyable way to consume content. There you go. Jesus, Tom. I mean, that is Mr. that Corker. is late. Do you know there's a thing called Netflix? <laughs> How what? Okay, we've heard about the Copper America and the Women's World Cup, but what about what's going on with the under-21s? England kick off against France on Tuesday night. Daniel Story's out there, and we can speak to him now. So, Daniel, England's youth teams, they've done so well recently, but they've not actually won the under-21s since 1984. Is this, I put it to you, sir, the year it all changes? Uh, it's certainly the year that they need to do more than just gain experience, which has been the cliche for recent tournaments. They have to have a chance. They have to reach the semi-final, which in this tournament is 12 teams, only one guaranteed three from each group. And they've got a particularly tough group with France and Croatia. So there's pressure on Aidy Boothroyd, who's given a new contract before the start of the tournament. And that was slightly controversial. So there's, there's pressure on them that has never been before. They, they seem to be in good spirits from all the press coming out of the camp at, at the moment, um, hopefully avoiding another defeat to Germany somewhere along the line. Yeah, you're right. All the, the talk from the squad is about being a little bit freer, a little bit more uh, open and enjoying themselves more than they did in 2017. I know Tammy Abraham spoke about kids in the playground, that cliche, which I think is probably right. Eng- the England senior team seems to have improved through expansive, enjoyable, smile-on-the-face football, and there's no reason why the under-21s wouldn't copy that. Excellent. Well, we all know about the England team, but who else should we be looking out for? I hear George Hadji's son is there. Yes, he is, and in England's group. I saw a Romanian journalist last night saying this is Romania's strongest squad at any international level for 15 years, so that bodes well for them. Uh, France are, have an exceptional squad, and Germany, as I say, fifth favourites, but packed with experience and talent. Jonathan Tarr, their captain, is has already been capped numerous times at senior level. Spain's midfield last night was was so good that Pablo Fornells, the West Ham signing, sort of £25 million signing, didn't even get in the team. So, yeah, it's it feels, I don't know if it's just that we know more than before, but it feels like the strongest ever tournament at this level, simply because there's such depth and depth at the biggest clubs abroad, which is not the case in England. We have a squad made up of championship and bottom half Premier League mainly, but players with huge amounts of potential who we know big clubs are already looking at. 
All right, well, England looking to make a good start against France. Italy have already made a good start, haven't they, James? Yeah, very good start. They came back from behind against uh, Spain. A lot of hype around this Italy side because they are the host nation. And they've got a good generation uh, coming through, many of whom have already played for the first team and have kind of been parachuted back in to the under-21s, specifically for this tournament. But they went behind in this game to an outstanding goal from Dani Ceballos, who got his move to Real Madrid on the back of being player of the Euro Under-21 tournament in Poland two years ago. And for 20 minutes, it looked like Spain were going to dominate this game. Uh, It was a classic Spain performance. As we heard from Daniel, their midfield um, is, well, it's mouth-watering. And Italy then finished the first half really well. And Federico Chiesa, he got all the headlines because he helped them get back into this game. And I think you get a real impression watching that goal of why people in Italy are so excited about Chiesa because he does have this electric pace. Um, He's always willing to run at his defenders um, and yeah essentially spark this revival and rather than trying to outplay or match Spain from a kind of technical finesse kind of point of view uh, Italy then just ended up kicking lumps out of Spain's midfield and it worked really well nice um, so yeah they've racked up a few bookings in that game but ultimately um, convincing 3-1 win for them um, so in a, in a difficult group as well as we saw in the earlier game um, between Poland and Belgium where Poland also came back uh, from behind to to beat a quite an underwhelming um, Belgian uh, side. Um, I think Poland look like a p- potential dark horse uh, in this tournament. Lots of talent um, in that squad as well. So good start to what looks like a really entertaining uh, tournament. Excellent. We'll have loads more on that because, as I may have mentioned already, we are here all summer. Uh, there'll be a lot of transfer talk as well. Real Madrid really leading the way here. It's, it's only mid-June and they've, uh, they've already, well, to put it as Boris Johnson might, spaffed over 300 million euros on new players. 50,000 people are at the Bernabeu to watch Eden Hazard juggle balls and blow kisses. But, as our own amigo Alvaro Romeo told me a little earlier, they're not done yet with the comings and goings. Not by a long shot. Well, I believe that Real Madrid uh, has been uh, trying to make the squad younger over the last couple of years. This season, they have signed Eder Militao for 50 million from Porto, which uh, tells me that uh, probably Real Madrid will try to offload a defender. Uh, I don't know if Varane or Nacho, but I think that one of them may be leaving. Then uh, Jovic for 60 million euro, which is a replacement for Benzema. I think that Jovic... uh, won't necessarily start for Real Madrid, but he will definitely uh, dispute the number nine position with uh, Karim Benzema. Then uh, Rodrigo is another signing uh, for 45 million. Uh, Rodrigo is a player that probably won't be starting next season. And then Mendy, a left back that uh, will come and bring some uh, uh, competition to Marcelo as well, considering that Marcelo has had a Terrible season. I think Mendy has uh, a big chance to start next season at Real Madrid. And uh, on Friday, they signed uh, Takefusa Kubo, a Japanese youngster who belonged to Barcelona Academy in the past. Uh, Unfortunately, Barcelona had uh, a FIFA ban and the player had to leave a couple of years ago. And Real Madrid has signed this player. Barcelona tried to sign him back for the academy team, uh, but... uh, Barcelona and uh, the Japanese player didn't reach an agreement uh, when it came to wages and salaries. And Real Madrid has offered this player some uh, good money. And uh, next season, he will be also at Real Madrid squad. And he will definitely go to Real Madrid on tour in summer. So, as you say, Real Madrid has signed already a number of players. And uh, it is said that uh, they are looking for a midfielder just to um, round up and complete the team. Uh, There is a premium choice called Paul Pogba. There is another premium choice called Christian Eriksen. And then there is a basic choice called Endombele from Olympique de Lyon. And I wouldn't be surprised in, uh, if within the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, Real Madrid w- signs one of those three. Where are they getting all this money from, Alvaro? That's a very good question. Uh, from television, Real Madrid gets around uh, 150 million uh, revenue. Then, of course, they, they can generate their own money. But uh, if Real Madrid wants to meet the financial fair play uh, regulations, they will have to offload players because they are way uh, ahead or where, of where they should be. So, obviously, there are some names that they will be in the market. Uh, Real Madrid won't openly say that uh, they want to sell players. But uh, the likes of Gareth Bale, Jaime Rodriguez, Dani Ceballos, Marco Asensio... 
or uh, Isco are players that Real Madrid could uh, um, be happy to sell, or at least uh, Real Madrid would be happy to hear offers from them. And probably Hammer Rodriguez and Gareth Bale are those that Real Madrid can get more money from, but uh, more likely to be sold are the likes of uh, Martin Odegaard. Ajax is interested on this player after the young left uh, Ajax. Possibly Keylor Navas, a goalkeeper who is still 33, and uh, he could find uh, a club pretty much anywhere. Alvaro Romeo there from Talksport International and Peckham via Bilbao. Uh, Tom, as Alvaro was saying, uh, lots of talk of Pogba, lots of talk of Mbappe as well. People chanting his name at the unveiling of the uh, Eden Hazard uh, transfer. How likely is this? My feeling is that for this summer, it is probably quite unlikely. Um, I mean, there has been contact between Madrid and Mbappe and, and his family since you know since his early teens. Um, you know, we knew, we know that Mbappe grew up in a in a bedroom plastered with Real Madrid posters on the walls. I'm sure he will play for them one day. Um, and right now, his stock is obviously very high, um, and at the end of the season, uh, he used the uh, Liga and Player of the Season awards to to announce a little warning to PSG that um, you know he wasn't entirely happy with with the way things were at the club. Um, yeah, my feeling is that if if Mbappe is to go to Madrid, it, it probably won't be this summer. Um, there was a report in the Keep today that uh, the uh, directors recently met to talk about transfer strategy, and the three untransferable players in the PSG squad are Mbappe, Marquinhos, and Verratti. Um, mm, which doesn't include one Neymar. Doesn't include one Neymar, um, who features on the front page of uh, L'Equipe this morning with the headline Le Chant du Départ, the departure song. Uh, and the suggestion from L'Equipe is that if someone were to meet uh, their asking price for Neymar, the club would be prepared to sell him. Who, um, who could meet his asking price? Well, that's that's the question. Wages. I mean, there's very, very few clubs out there. I mean, the, the big two in Spain, but again, you know, Madrid are already spending lots of money as it is. Um, you know, Barcelona have spent an awful lot of money themselves in recent seasons I and are quite well stocked in, in attacking positions. Um, his wages are something else, aren't they? And his wages are, you know, among the highest wages in football. What does he get? Um, about 30 million euros per year. So, yeah, um, my expectation is that is that because no one can really afford Neymar, he will probably end up staying put. Uh, but it, it's an interesting shift in in PSG's stance that that they are at least open to offers well, for him. That shift was also enunciated by the president, the chairman Nassar Khalifi, in what an interview with France Football, where he's like fed up with kind of prima donna behaviour. Enough is enough. Um, but that I think is a very strong signal sent probably to Neymar that uh, they've had enough with his you know just his general kind just of with him I well just, yeah with him I mean, maybe yeah. and also face. that's a problem for them because when you when you go public like that and it's so <laughs> yeah he doesn't name Neymar but it seems very kind of direct um, yeah that is a warning I think a warning to any prospective buyer it's like do you want the baggage that comes with Neymar whose career has arguably gone backwards since he left Barcelona. So, yeah, he's talking of careers going backwards. James Rodriguez, mm-hmm. um, the shiniest shiny thing from the 2014 World Cup. Um, looks like he's going to make way and head off to Napoli. Is that going to work out for him? Well, it's a possibility. It's something that they're exploring. I think one of the issues that Napoli find is a player who is used to being paid galactico wages, and that is something that they just cannot do. Um, but this is the pulling power of a certain Carlo Ancelotti, who's obviously worked with him in the past, has an extensive contacts book, wants to use that in order to make Napoli as competitive as possible, because I think there is a sense that Juventus are taking a bit of a gamble on Maurizio Sarri. It might all go right, it might all go wrong, and there's an opportunity there for Napoli, for an Inter, for a Roma to to, to capitalise, certainly if they were up to, up to upgrade and, and get a player like James Rodriguez, but I think it's it'd still be a very difficult deal for them to do. All right. Um, not very much time left to squeeze in an awful lot of stuff. So we're going to go quick fire now. Uh, this icardi Dybala swap deal. Huh? Juventus would take Icardi. Um, Dybala not so fussed about Inter. Um, but, uh, yeah, this Icardi situation is one to watch because it's clear that Inter want him out. He doesn't want to go, um, but knowing Antonio Conte and what he is about, 
from a managerial perspective, yeah, he doesn't care how good you are. If you're not, in his opinion, the right kind of character for that dressing room, then you're out. So, yeah, they've got a problem moving that, that player on. All right, Kieran Trippier to Juve. Is that a thing? It is a thing in that there has been contact um, with, uh, with, with Trippier. I think it's in its early stages. I mean, initially, it was very much... Napoli were very hot on, on Trippier. Uh, and that was that was a much more advanced stage, but yeah, Juventus are keeping their options open because you know as we've also heard, Cancelo is someone that they're prepared to sell. There's obviously interest from City um, there in Cancelo, and you know were he to leave, there'd be a vacancy in that position. I think Trippier is under consideration. I understand. That. I think Trippier's um, preference is to stay in in England, um, so we'll have to see what comes of that. Tom, um, Frank Ribery to Sheffield United. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I mean that. Who wouldn't like to see that? Um, it would be an absolute sensation. I don't think there's any truth in that. Sadly, I mean we know that he's leaving uh, by Munich after a record-breaking tenure there. Um, I, I suspect he's probably more likely to head to the Middle East, maybe MLS for one last big payday. Um, I mean, who wouldn't want to see him at Bramall Lane? Well, it'd be fantastic, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. Sticking with French players, Manchester United apparently want a bit of West Ham's Issa Diop for £45 million, which sounds a lot, but compared to the £80 million and three hundred and fifty grand a week that's being written about Harry Maguire, almost seems bargain basement stuff. Yeah, it would be a curious one, I think. I mean, just looking at his, his profile, I mean, he's not he's not a full France international, uh, it's a Diop. Um, he's not really talked about in, in, in conjunction with, with France ever. He's not really ever named as, as, as one of the players who were knocking on the door in terms of selection. Um, I think if United are going to sign a centre-back, and I think they probably should, it needs to be one of the best centre-backs in the world or as close to that as they can get. Obviously, you know they can't offer Champions League football. Um, but I, I think if they were to sign someone like Diop, it would just be another you know, slightly callow, slightly undercooked centre-back to add to the collection of, of quite underwhelming centre-backs that they already have. Um, so yeah, bit of an odd one, Adam. All right, I'd say that is more than enough for today. Uh, thank you, James Horncastle. We'll see you very, very soon, I hope. Pleasure. Uh, Tom, wonderful as always. A uh, pleasure e- as always. Even with your clothes on, you're a delight to, That's uh, to welcome That's good to hear. Thank you, Ian. And, and you yourself. Thank you. On Thursday, uh, Julien Laurent and Michael Cox and myself all talking about the French side that won Euro 2000. Uh, have a listen to figure out why we're not talking about the French side that won World Cup 98. Very different vibe about both teams. That is the third part of our six-part series uh, accompanying Michael's new book, Zonal Marking. If you haven't got that already, do get it. It's really, really good. Uh, Remember that the offside rule is the only place for all your Women's World Cup needs, and it's only on Spotify. Keep up to date with all things Totally, and by Christ, there's going to be a lot of them. Follow us on Twitter, at The Totally Show. See you next time. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.